0: Hello and thanks for tuning in to this episode of the ALT Learn podcast. I'm John Tate and I'll be your host as we break down the craft of teaching and the science of learning, what this pedagogy looks like in the classroom, and get to find out how our teachers are turning all this theory into practice. So, let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of the ALT Learn podcast, where we've got a great episode lined up for you today discussing inclusive strategies to support students with ADHD. So I'm pleased to say that alongside me on today's show, we have an external guest of the podcast, Dr. Jennifer Knock. Jennifer is an educator and chartered psychologist with many years of experience working with children and young people, their families, and educators. She's passionate about supporting educators and parents to better understand mental health, behavior and relationships, and to view children and young people through a developmental lens. So a warm welcome to the podcast, Jennifer, and a big thanks for coming on to discuss this with me today.
1: Thank you, John. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be um, working with the Trust and also to be having this taster session today. So, Thank you.
0: Fantastic. Right. Well, let's get into it then. Um, as as we've kind of, uh, as, as our listeners will know, this podcast is listened to by uh, you know a range of people from trainees to new teachers, experienced teachers, school leaders and staff from within the Trust and beyond. So before I presume there's a wider and deeper understanding of ADHD and how it affects young people, Can you begin, Jennifer, by giving us an an overview of kind of what it is and how it presents itself in our young people in our classrooms?
1: Yeah, absolutely, John. So in a nutshell, really, um, ADHD is the most commonly diagnosed behavioural disorder in children under 18. And currently, there are approximately 9% of children, school-aged children, who have a diagnosis. It's believed to be largely genetic, um, but it's recognized that there's a lot of interaction with biological and environmental factors. Those those can contribute and have a a strong impact. There are four particular um, areas that are are of great interest to researchers. Maternal smoking is one. Mm -hmm. Premature birth is another. Low birth weight is yet another. And adverse childhood experiences, and I don't want to spend too much talking time talking about that today, mm-hmm. um, but I would say caution is needed because there's a lot of misdiagnosis of ADHD, and many children who've got trauma backgrounds actually are misdiagnosed with um, ADHD without their trauma background being taken into account. So those are the four main um, contributory factors that are a bit of interested, interest at the moment. Mm-hmm. The symptoms of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, to give mm-hmm. it its long name, yep. can be categorised into two types of behavioural problems. As the name suggests, inattentiveness, and that's very much about attention, maintaining focus, about concentration, and hyperactivity and impulsiveness, which are the, that's what we see more yep. than anything. That's the thing that can be quite uncomfortable, particularly in mm-hmm. our Classrooms. So lots of people who have ADHD actually fall into both categories, but not all of them. And some, um, for example, there might be people who have the condition and they have difficulties concentrating and focusing, but they don't have problems with with hyperactivity or inattentiveness. And that type of of, um, disorder is known as ADD. So it's the attention deficit without hyperactivity. Um, disorder that can often go unnoticed because Mm. the symptoms are much less obvious and again it can be tricky Um, adhd is more often diagnosed in boys than girls so girls are more likely yeah they're likely to have symptoms of inattentiveness only they're less likely to show disruptive behavior Um, and i think we'll come on to talk about that uh, a little bit later
0: Mm. So, so, just to kind of pick up on a couple of points there, that so the H, the kind of hyperactivity kind of mm-hmm. bit, that like you said, that's what we see, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's kind of what's you know that comes, up, you know, sometimes it's bubbling below the skin, but the hyperactivity is the is the mm-hmm. output. So, are you suggesting there, or are you saying that, that that's more prevalent in the boys then? than the, the girls and that, and, that, and that yeah interesting definitely so
1: the girls often tend to be dreamy and that's often how they describe you know she's yeah. a bit of a daydreamer she's off with the fairies yeah and this is one of the problems around diagnosis they're often missed or they've misdiagnosed wow. something else that actually isn't adhd
0: really I mean, and that's really interesting just for people straight away to be thinking about you know the, the the students in their classroom and where that might be and actually you know kind of you know what what, what you see isn't necessarily kind of all what's going on below mm-hmm. the skin isn't it actually it presents itself differently so right very really, really interesting so I know that kind of lots of your work also centers around neurodiversity um, so for people who are not familiar with that term or for those ones who think we need to be kind of professors in brain science to understand it and more importantly <laughs> apply it to our understanding in the classroom can you tell us why it's so important for teachers to have a broad appreciation of this then
1: yeah, um, and I think thats I was really pleased with this question, really, because theres I've got a really nice quotation. I don't know if you've come across um, Steve Silverman and his book Neurotribes, which mm-hmm. he talks about, a lot about neurodiversity there. And I just want to use a quotation, really, from him to begin to answer that point. And Steve Silverman says, the notion that conditions like autism, dyslexia and ADHD should be regarded as naturally occurring cognitive variations. With distinctive strengths that have contributed to the evolution of technology and culture rather than mere checklists of deficits and dysfunctions. So, Steve um, Silverman Mm -hmm. and other people who are really going down this road of neurodiversity um, feel that it's important that we look at this as a deviation from the norm, not a disorder. So, it's just not as common. Uh, and I think um, certainly from my, I've worked with children in schools for over forty years, and I think this positive perspective is long overdue. It's very, very welcome. It's advantageous, um, not just for those people who are neurodivergent, but for everybody. We're supposed to be working towards a society that's increasingly inclusive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking towards acceptance, tolerance, inclusion, uh, inclusion, the removal of barriers. So this, this label, this this approach, this paradigm really mm-hmm. is much more helpful than that deficit model. It helps us to move away, orients us away from the deficit model um, sure. that we so often see towards a celebration really of really unique strengths. Things I that's, that's really nice, ideas. isn't
0: it? It's, it's a really yeah. nice kind of quote that like exactly like you said, it, it, it includes everyone, it celebrates everyone as, as being slightly kind of different, but not different as in, something's broken something's wrong you know actually it's just that we're all kind of different and we're different kind of cognitively as well as physically in, in, in appearance so I think, I think I, that's, that's really nice so thank you thanks for sharing that with us I, I, I really really like that Okay, um, in terms of then I know you 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 always talk your you, some of your work, and I've kind of when I did some homework on you and kind of reference <laughs> some of the things you do as as I do for the kind of as a host you know wanting to kind of understand a few people before I speak to them, your work also includes some really interesting references to the phrase busy minds and busy bodies, so can you explain what that means then
1: yeah, so um. For starters, um, the signs of, of um, hyperactivity and impulsivity: being able to sit still, um, constantly fidgeting, excessive physical um, movements, and inability to curb impulses. So the body and the brain are, are busy; they're active a lot of the time. And I think for people with ADHD finding a balance between busyness and idleness can be really, really hard. And I think the seeds of this are often planted in childhood. I think if we as educators, whatever age of children we're working with, if we can really take that seriously, it's difficult for them to find that nice balance, that Mm -hmm. even busyness and uptime and downtime, if you will, um, so they can find that that they are over busy, their brains and their bodies are overactive, and this can lead to, to burnout. People with ADHD are more likely to have mental health problems in adolescents and mm-hmm. adulthood than people without ADHD. And part of it is this overuse, this constant buzzing, this constant busyness. Others find it really difficult to accomplish anything. So they have the opposite problem. They find it really difficult. Um, to, to persist with anything, so they can start a task, they can be interested, but soon lose interest, and they, mm-hmm. they can't complete, and they are sometimes, again, very unfortunately in schools, because they're not being provided for in an appropriate way, they can often be described as lazy or mm-hmm. underachievers, because the environment hasn't really facilitated their particular yeah. type of thinking and being, um, sometimes people with ADHD swing between both. Sometimes they're over busy, they're busy like a bee, and then other times very lethargic and 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 dropping the ball and not able to stay on task. So it can be a bit of a, a juggling act to try mm-hmm. to. Um, to find that balance when your brain even if you're trying to rest your body if your brain is always busy it can be really difficult to find that balance so I think people in my experience people with ADHD tend to be very active they tend to be overactive people so they might be putting into their energy into work or an activity Uh they might be daydreaming but they are almost always mentally engaged one of the problems we have in schools currently and I suppose it's possibly always been the way is we're very focused on being productive yeah. and it doesn't always look that way for people with adhd it doesn't look productive they're very creative thinkers they're saying thinkers so we might they not be might not be a, a, as much output to represent what's mm-hmm. going on inside so i think that um productivity which involves steadily working with something and, and completing it That means that we have to require focus, we have to monitor our way through the task and that's been really difficult for the person with ADHD. So I think that, again, Uh this is key knowledge for educators. The whole notion of busy mind, busy body, we have to look at and take very seriously and really think about how we can support the child and, and value. Um, what they're outputting,
0: even if we don't think very much. Yeah, and, and I suppose that's coming back to some of the messages that, that, that came through in the in the two or three uh, other podcasts that I've recorded recently in this kind of Send series is that it's all about understanding and knowing those children in detail to know, because what you described there is there might be lots of things going on behind the eyes in terms of lots of thinking, lots of real engagement, lots of mental busyness, but actually the productivity might not show that. But again, it's, it's understanding when that's happening and knowing that child rather than that child just hasn't engaged and hasn't done anything. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the person next to them who has the same level of output might not be, might might not have engaged, but actually the person left left them who has the ADHD might be totally switched on and switched into everything that's happening. But actually mm-hmm. that productivity might be lacking because of, you know, what like you said mm-hmm. that they go into that kind of that idleness sometimes because, mm-hmm. you know, because of that kind of mental kind of business as well. So I suppose then thinking about kind of my next question about, every child's different and you know like i've just said there it's about knowing the individual child isn't it? And there mm. there clearly isn't a, a one-size-fits-all approach for everything otherwise we'd have done this 20 30 40 50 yeah. years ago like it would have be yeah you know, you'd have written the book we'd have read it and that's it, it Would have we'd have all done it so we know that there's some real context in this but um are there any kind of more common or easy strategies to use then that, that teachers listening could be able to pick up and use tomorrow if they've got, you know, one or more students with the ADHD in their classroom and maybe referring back to that kind of busy minds and kind of, you know, and, and busy mm. body, how can they kind of use some of those things in some real practical strategies to help out in the classroom?
1: Okay. Well, I think overarching is that, that notion that, well, this child might have a very busy mind, but I can't actually see that. Yeah. So I am going to believe I'm going to trust in the mm. <laughs> innate goodness yeah. and value of the child. And I'm going to recognize that, the output might happen tomorrow or next month or next year in a different context. The out, you know, All those neural networks are being built, those thoughts are there, those ideas are there. So being patient, I think, is, is major. But in terms of practical strategies, I think that we need to really formulate all of our expectations on the child's executive functioning age. So we really need to think about that. their their cognitive skills and where, where are they with executive function are they they age expected or if they've got ADHD they are likely to be at least two to three years below Mm -hmm. other children of their age in terms of executive function. So all of those high-level thinking skills, memory, attention, concentration, focus, um, organisation, planning, decision-making, problem-solving, they're likely to be two to three years below their their typically developing peers. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to really work with that and to think what can I put in place I think we need to abandon time out completely and any other punitive or shaming or exclusive practices because children with ADHD really tend to um, struggle if they're in a school where there's very behaviourist systems in place. They do not respond to that and yet they still go through that experience of being punished, shamed, etc., We need to um, allow fidget toys. We need to allow the movement. We need to make sure they're getting plenty of sensory snacks, that they're Mm -hmm. able to pace if they need to, and that we, we, obviously, we try to help them to moderate that so they're not a huge distraction to other people.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. We've got to move away from seeing that as bad behaviour. It's not bad behaviour. It's their way of self-regulating. They have self-regulation skills, but often in schools they're not allowed to use them because it annoys Somebody else. And that we just, just to-
0: sorry, just to pick you up there, and I'll, I'll let you carry in a second. It was interesting. A podcast I recorded with Andrea Edmondson about kind of regulation and self regulation, or sorry, self regulation and co regulation, and actually understanding that I think she put it really nicely that actually sometimes a, a student that might be uh, rocking on a chair might be seen as naughty behavior or disruptive behavior or disengagement, or, but actually it could just be their way of regulating, self regulating at that moment. You know them not tipping over the kind of edge, or I think she she put it: if we had a full glass of water and then we we dropped a few more drops in, suddenly it's going to start spilling over the edge, isn't it? And I think that 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 might be their way. But again, it's and I think I talked to her about the the problem. Sometimes we see when we when we're teaching five classes a day and thirty kids at a go is that some of those behaviours are exactly the same output as behavior, as, as of disengagement and, and what we would call as naughty behavior. Mm-hmm. So it's it, there's a fine line between you understanding your students and knowing which part of that is actually you know, self-regulation and, and, and their coping strategies and which for some other students is actually disengagement. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the skilled, that's why we're professionals and that's why we're, you know, we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're paid to do this because the same output from two different students might be for two different reasons. And, that, Absolutely, and that, that's, that, that, yeah. that, that's what we're saying, isn't it?
1: And I think always, you know, not defining the the, the student by their presenting behaviour. We have to see the child. We have to see them and not just see uh, the behaviour. And I think a lot we use it. We do use the deficit model so often in schools and in society in general. I think. And I think you know sometimes people say, well, if this child chatters incessantly, and I think, well, can we not instead of saying that, can we not say, well, this child actually uses talk to self regulate. This mm-hmm. child has. A self regulatory strategy. So I need to celebrate that and I need to think well, in my planning, I need to bring in lots of paired talk. I need to bring in uh, lots of maybe puppets, maybe role play, maybe reading the story or telling the story. I need to build this self regulatory strategy into the child's engagement because if I say, stop talking, stop chattering, um, or sit still, or stop rocking what i'm doing is not allowing the child to use their self-regulation skills so i think you've obviously that ties in with the, the other podcast yeah definitely and, 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 um, and yeah.
0: Ho- hopefully to give some kind of some confidence and some kind of uh, comfort to new and inexperienced teachers who are thinking how am i going to be able to decipher all of this that's happening in my classroom and if i kind of rewind 20 years to start of my career that's what i'd be thinking now thinking Hang on a second. How am I supposed to know each one of these? But you know, well, what you're hoping, and and, and this is, I suppose, then the testament to the send department, the send core in the, in, the, in the school. That actually, you know, different schools will call them different things, but certainly, you know, now I kind of trust you in terms of whether it's the, the ILPs that you know the learning plans or mm. the, the, the passports. Well, actually, those are the things that you need to make sure you read and you understand because those are the areas where you'll be able to find out that you know student x needs to chat and she's chatting or or she's using talk to self-regulate you know student y is the one that kind of might need the fidget spinner and is kind of clicking his pen out often and 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 it's then understanding that and that that hopefully you know that the the quality of the passports and the learning plans will be able Mm -hmm. to give you that information it's your job then to then understand that and 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 not just file them away for a rainy day but to really understand those things so that you can exactly like you said it was a lovely idea. Plan my lesson more to include the discussion in the chat because I know this would massively make a difference. Mm, That's where yeah. the really experienced teacher goes to that next level because mm. things have been planned specifically for the needs of the class, not yeah. just, oh, you need to be quiet and I haven't really read your, read your passport and I don't yeah. know that. That's where there's a big difference, isn't there?
1: It is. isn't. I think instead of defining it as a problem, again, instead of defining it this child never shuts up, this child chatters all the time, let's define it as a strength. We need to use strength-based language. This child can self-regulate through chatter or through moving around. Yeah. And I think yeah. that it's just having a, you know, this moving away from seeing children as the enemy, really, <laughs> yeah. and saying, you know, what is, what is this child doing well and what they're succeeding at? I think so often you know, I go into lots and lots of schools and I see a lot of co-escalation mm-hmm. and nowhere near of mm-hmm. co-regulation, you know, that, yeah. that mix that, that simply mm-hmm. doesn't work. So I think that, yeah, co-regulation okay. is important. Any sort of cognitive scaffolding, yeah. it will be really helpful. So clocks, timers, visuals, schedules, minimising screen time, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the biggie, particularly at home, you know, yeah. get, trying to get home and school to work cooperatively. And I think to... Finally, you're asking me for kind of quick quick tips here, things people can do immediately. I think pos- positive reinforcement and gratitude mm-hmm. instead of praise. So rather than just well done, you've done well this morning, or thank you for waiting. I was really thrilled to see you using that strategy. Yeah. Standing on one leg while you waited, yeah, that yeah. really helped you to wait this morning. It's made me feel really proud. So really not just the, you know, the well done, yep. the, the, you know, that good work, but to give that real, I'm thankful that you have done this because that is going to reinforce the positive strategies that the child is yeah. using.
0: Brilliant. Excellent. Okay. Now, I know we we mentioned this kind of briefly uh, in, in an earlier kind of question. So I'm not sure how much you're going to add to this. But mm-hmm. my question was going to be, is there any difference in gender? Now, I know we, you know, and, and does it affect boys and girls differently? And, and if so, do we need to tailor our strategies differently? Now, I know we mentioned right at the top of the podcast, and you kind of quite surprised me, actually, about kind of, Actually, there is a big difference, and it's and it's normally the H that kind of you know I picked out that it's mm-hmm. the hyperactivity and girls maybe are, you know it's, it bubbles under the skin a bit more, but it doesn't necessarily you know showing the output. So, anything else to kind of add to that in terms of how we might want to tailor our strategies differently because of that?
1: Yeah, I think it's a massive area, and I'm going to struggle to to keep this <laughs> brief because I find I do find this re- really significant. But you know, it's a big it's a big problem. It's a public health epidemic hiding in plain sight, really, the mm-hmm. under diagnosis of girls. So. It's thought to be under-recognised because girls aren't as hyperactive as boys, they tend to have less trouble with self-control and that means that they're often less disruptive at home, out Mm -hmm. in the community and in school. They are much less likely to be referred for an assessment for ADHD than boys are and Mm -hmm. therefore they're much less likely to have a diagnosis they are much more likely to receive a a diagnosis for a mental health disorder, like an eating disorder or an anxiety disorder that is actually masking um, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. ADHD. So I think the key signs, and I think this is what your listeners will really want to hear, because this will alert them, I hope, to what they're seeing in the classrooms, The signs look very different, tend to look very different in girls. And it's not to say that no boys present like this. Some boys do, Mm -hmm. but far fewer than girls. And it's not to say that no girls present with the hyperactivity Mm -hmm. element. They do. But if we're looking at statistics, we see it's far higher. uh, Those hyperactivity symptoms are higher in boys. So in girls, it looks different. It's different for girls. They tend to daydream. They might be described as being silly or Mm -hmm. spacey or wacky. Uh, They're often shy. They might be skin picking and fidgeting and have those nervous um, mm-hmm. um, signs. They might be a perfectionist, so they might really struggle to express satisfaction with anything about themselves. They're really keen for everything to be just perfect. They often feel anxious and sad. Um, they are often very forgetful, so they have mm-hmm. a, a poor memory. They show emotional dysregulation and they often have trouble making and maintaining friendships and this can be a cause of great unhappiness mm-hmm. for them uh, they show a lot more signs of anxiety and mood disorders than do boys um all people with adhd have higher levels of anxiety than those without adhd um but for, for um, so the um the difference in mental, related mental health difficulties are higher for girls into in, in the um in the shape of anxiety, they experience higher levels of peer rejection than boys because mm-hmm. girls often interact through social yeah. engagement, mm-hmm. through language. Boys often interact through de- doing and being, through yeah. sports, etc., up and tumble. Um, they want to connect but frequently yeah. don't know how they are impulsive sometimes in their decisions about friendships, and that can mean that they pull out of friendships because of the mm-hmm. anxiety they're feeling, or that they simply don't know how to to interact. Obviously, some girls with um, ADHD will be socially oriented, um, but they're more likely to be disliked than girls who don't have ADHD when you talk to peers. I think that they, more often than not, they suffer silently and the the ADHD or ADD behaviours manifest themselves um, in different ways in terms of anxiety, Mm -hmm. eating, etc. They're often missed because they fly under the radar. They don't yeah. draw attention to themselves. So I think we have to have our ADHD or ADD goggles on when we're viewing girls in our classroom. Ab- absolutely,
0: yeah. And then really interesting there how you you know you said that you know it either goes under undiagnosed and therefore mm-hmm. under kind of you know you're referred and all those type of things. And actually, for people listening, thinking about kind of picturing or visioning your kind of classroom, you know, some of those kind of. Um, uh, the, the, those kind of those characteristics that you mentioned there mm-hmm. hopefully people are starting to think well, actually that might be i might need to take a bit more interest in there and see what the what the issue is mm-hmm. there and do i need to just check in with the send department here and you know check back on the on the on the passport for that student mm-hmm. and all those type of things to make sure that we, we're really making sure that we've got a broad overview of Absolutely, all those things because i don't
1: think the, the strategies aren't different necessarily you know they've still got those problems with yeah. Um, but I think we just need to be really aware of the differences in presenting behaviour so that we can support more accurate diagnosis. I think that's the key. It's brilliant. not once we've got the yeah. diagnosis or the suspicion that a child has ADHD, we can apply those same strategies, but it's getting the girls to that point where this is recognized as a, a you know, attention deficit difficulties.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. And hopefully that that that'll really, you know, ring. You know, uh, you know, strike a chord with, with, with lots of people uh, to make sure that they do that. And they, they they are they are really kind of looking for that and, and making sure that we're supporting as much as we can. Because I, I do agree, you know, when you think about that kind of word, or certainly in my head, that kind of ADHD, you know, if, if you were to picture someone immediately, I'd be picturing a male. And I, and that falls right into that trap, doesn't it? Exactly yeah. what you said there. And actually there, there, there might be just as many in your classroom with this, but actually what you're seeing, the output is probably more from the male. So therefore, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really good point that
1: interestingly as well john similarly for um, autism so we're not going to talk about that today but very similarly it's different for girls they have it they're not recognized
0: absolutely definitely so final question i've asked this to kind of everyone really almost like a soapbox moment if you want if there's one lasting message that you would want to leave our listeners with on this subject uh, apart from you know check for the girls we've just kind of mentioned there which was almost one in, in itself what would it be
1: Well, I found this really hard um, because (laughs) there are so many key issues really to talk about. But I think cutting through all the recommendations I could give about diagnosis and about interventions, I think to return to something I mentioned a couple of minutes ago—a real, authentic, and genuine focus from educators mm-hmm. on strengths, resilience, and hope-based practice. We have to move away from the deficit model. Yep. We yep. have to develop a different narrative around behaviour. Um, we have to see. We have to use needs-based language. We have to use communication-based language. Uh, so, moving away from that deficit model, model, and then asking, how can I protect the child? From potentially explosive situations so for example that what we talked about a few minutes ago recognizing that this actually isn't a weakness in the child this incessant Uh chatter this is a strength because the child is self regulating so how am I going to protect the child in those situations when it might not be possible for them to use a lot of talk so how am I going to change the, um, the physical, psychological and social environment in mm-hmm. order to meet the needs of those children. So I think we need to really protect them in those yep. situations yep. that they might find difficult, like playtime, lunchtime, mm-hmm. break time, sharing, visitors in school, lining up, waiting, waiting around. There's a lot of waiting around a yep. lot in school, yep, isn't there? Um, field trips, assemblies. So asking what does the child, what does this child with ADHD need? in these potentially explosive situations, because that is not the child's responsibility. The child isn't wired to change. Yeah. The responsibility to make those accommodations is ours. So that would be my overall. Yeah. Thing
0: Fantastic, brilliant, We're very well put. And, and again, always coming back to knowing the individual, you know, making sure we're seeing that as, as an opportunity and a positive uh, and finding the change that we need to, to that, that's right for them and not just right for us. So, yeah, brilliant. Right. Well, thank you so much for a really, really interesting conversation today, Jennifer. And if our listeners have been as, as interested as I have, then I'm sure that uh, they'll, they'll be really interested to know as well that I've got some further help at hand because you're running a, a training course for us up here at Richmond a School in North Yorkshire on the 20th of January next year, in 2023. Uh, all the details on how to book can be found on our training website, which is yes at trust.net and that's Y-E-S, at, which is A-T rather than the at sign, arete, A-R-E-T-E, learningtrust.net, yes, at the learningtrust.net, and then by clicking on the training and events tab. So thank you so much for your time today. Hopefully it's been really useful for people, um, and you know it's been a pleasure talking about it.
1: Thank you, John. Thanks for inviting me. I've really enjoyed that taster, so thanks very much.
0: Thanks for listening to the ALT Learn podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode where we'll be speaking to more of our teachers and finding out how they're turning theory into practice. Until then, take care.